the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by The Corporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explains why we need to be equipped and ready to share the gospel. There are many people who don't know the faith, right? We need to reach them. And they need people who know the faith to tell them what they don't know. But here's the sad fact. Too often, people who don't know the faith meet Christians who don't know their faith. And the impact of the church is lessened because we're not doing our jobs. Psychologists tell us it's not just what you say that matters, but how you say it. Just think of all the ways a teenager can say, I'm going to my room. His tone can convey acceptance, reluctance, or outright rebellion. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. When it comes to sharing the gospel, Philip is asking us to watch our tone. Today's hearers pick up on every nuance of speech, so we need to speak with kindness, clarity, and compassion. Philip is continuing a message that gives us some compelling guidelines for salty speech. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. We're in a series called Total Grace. Grace is a wonderful gem, and we've been looking at different facets of it. We've looked at saving grace from Ephesians 2. We've looked at strengthening grace from Hebrews 4. And coming back to look a second time at Colossians 4, where we're introduced to the thought of speaking grace. Grace is given to us to speak graciously about the grace of God. This is a message entitled Salty Speech. And we need to be tactful and we need to be thoughtful, constantly looking to buy up God-given opportunities to verbalize the gospel. Let's get to the last thought. Be tasteful. Be tasteful. Verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, tasteful that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Taste and see that the Lord is good, isn't he? Haven't we tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Our cup runs over. He has spread a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We're enjoying a banquet of God's faithfulness and mercy and love and wisdom and presence in our lives. Now, for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we want that for other people, right? Compassion and obedience drives us to share this with others. God is good. He has loved us in Christ. You need to put your faith in Him. But if we're going to tell people that God is good and we've tasted that fact to be true, we need to do that in a tasteful manner. When it comes to personal evangelism, it's not just faithfulness to the message that matters, but a gracious representation of that message. 
That's Paul's point here. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And we're going to do that with grace. So there's three things here, three things. You need to be courteous, you need to be compelling, and you need to be competent. I'll explain that. Where's the first thought? You need to be courteous. That's the first phrase of verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace. The grace that has touched our lives will enable us to share the message of God's grace graciously. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, something very similar. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. What do you want to impart? Grace. God's favor, God's kindness, the beauty of God's love. Oh, we're to be bold, but I'm not sure it serves the purposes of God's kingdom, the bark, the gospel in people's face. It doesn't serve the purposes of God to bark into your neighbor's face or the person at work. You can't bark in someone's face and expect their heart to turn to Jesus Christ. We're to be courteous. We're to be kind. Civility will help bring your neighbor's guard down because their defenses are up naturally in terms of Christ's claim on their life, the authority of God that's presented in the gospel. But civility helps disarm them. Let's get passionate about sharing the gospel, but we need to be courteous. Number two, we need to be compelling. Compelling. Look at Paul again, verse 6. Keep your Bible open, track along. Let your speech always be with grace. That's courteous. Seasoned with salt. That's compelling. The word seasoned with salt is a figure of speech. It was used in the ancient world of a sparkling conversation. That's our word, seasoned with salt. And the point Paul is making here, if you're going to share the gospel, and you must, and when God gives you an opportunity to do it, and you answer everyone... Do it in a way that compels interest. If you're going to talk about the marvelous and miraculous unity of the Bible, if you're going to talk about the awesome reality of resurrection and Jesus' death-defying act, you can't speak about that stuff. And neither can I without some excitement, without a manner that engages interest. You've got to avoid insipid conversation, worn words, dull dialogue, tired phrases, Christianese, lazy speech. You're communicating the Word, the eternal Word. If you're going to communicate the eternal Word, craft your words, pick your words, select your words so that you can engage the unbeliever in a manner that's compelling. See, salt flavors things. Does the way you speak flavor the presentation of the gospel? Does it compel interest? Does it help magnify the magnificence of Jesus Christ? Salt creates thirst, doesn't it? Does your speech create a thirst for Jesus? Spiritually speaking, when they hear your story and the gospel, they go, wow, I'm not sure I can believe that stuff about God and human flesh and virgin births and miracles, but boy, you're making me think. 
The power resides in the gospel. We've got to be careful about, you know what, putting the emphasis on good communication and techniques. Ultimately, it'll spill over into the wisdom of man. Ultimately, the medium will overtake the message. I get that. That's a real danger. But I also think it's a cop-out to say the power resides in the gospel, so it doesn't really matter how I say it. And sometimes the plainer, the better. Well, I'm all for plain speech. That's a good thing. But I believe that the first part of that statement is right, but the second part of that statement is wrong. Of course, the power resides in the gospel. But can't it be both and? Can't there be a theological tension where, of course, our trust is in the power of the gospel and the word we preach? But as I read the biblical narratives and watch the biblical preachers from apostles and prophets, they certainly communicated creatively, appealingly. There was a poetic effort put into their preaching, to borrow a phrase from John Piper in his book, saying it beautifully. What about Proverbs 16.23? Proverbs 16.23 got a similar thought. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips or adds persuasiveness to his lips. You go to Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 to 11, and you'll find that the writer Solomon says that he wants his words to be like well-driven nails. In fact, he says that he set out his proverbs in order. He thought about presentation, logic, sequence, the best way to communicate. Do I need to go to the Gospels and show you the parables of the Lord Jesus alone as a means of capturing people's imagination? Take the prodigal son story by itself. Jesus could have simply said, you know what, folks? If you'll turn back to God, if you'll repent of your sin, God will accept you. Because that's what he was teaching in the parable. But he didn't say that. He said, can I tell you a story about a boy that ran away from home, took his inheritance early, turned his back on his father, went into a far country, spent it all, ended up in a pig pen, came to nothing, envied the servants in his father's house, ached to go home, didn't think his father would ever accept him. But you know what? He got up, he went home. The father was there waiting on the porch to embrace the boy. Not only did he embrace him, not only did he forgive him, he told all the neighbors to arrive on Saturday afternoon. There's a big cookout. There's a party because the son that was lost is coming home. And Jesus says, so it is when the sinner repents and the angels in heaven sing. But he could have just said, you know what? Repent and come home to God. But that's not what he said. He seasoned his speech with salt. He told a story. He pictured it. He helped people grasp it. In fact, if you even look at Paul in Colossians chapter 2 here, when Paul talks about the gospel in verses 6 through 23, you'll see he uses the image of the kidnapping. He talks about circumcision as death. He talks about baptism as burial. He talks about Christ as the head and the church as the body. He talks about our debt of sin like it's an IOU. He talks about kneeling a charge sheet to a cross. He talks about how Jesus is leading us in triumphant processional like a Roman commander. He's using imaginative, pictorial, appealing, charming, engaging words to preach the gospel. I'm not, and I don't think Paul's saying, hey, you know what? If all you get to do is share the gospel bare bones, do it. 
But as opportunity arises, be courteous and be compelling. Try and think about ways you can connect with people and engage their thinking in the world they're in and communicate the everlasting gospel. Listen to great communicators inside the church and outside the church. Even listen to secular communicators who are really good at communicating with people. Learn from them. Read well-written books. The more you read, the better you'll speak. Let me tell you a story and we'll move to our last thought. Like this, it's about the migratory habits of certain birds in the United States. It was a scientific study by the Department of the Interior. And what they did, they took a sample of these birds and they tagged them with metal strips. And on the metal strips, they had these abbreviated words, wash, by all, serve. It was short for Washington Biological Survey. And they let the birds go. But after a while, they decided to change the code because... A farmer from Arkansas wrote to the Department of the Interior, and here's what he said. Dear sirs, I shot one of your birds. My wife followed the instructions attached. We washed it, we boiled it, and we served it. (laughs) It was the worst thing we have ever eaten. (laughs) Talk about a failure to communicate. You know, wash by old serve. Bad communication is a distasteful thing. So here's what I'd say before we get to our last thought. Listen and hear me clearly. What we say is forever more important than how we say it. The message is always more important than the medium. What we say is always more important than how we say it. But given the postmodern culture that feels more than it thinks, given this visually oriented generation, how we say it has never been more important. And here's this ancient text of Scripture speaking into our modern world and saying, hey, no dull presentations of the gospel. No lazy speech and tired language. Our creative God who's created us in His image has given us an ability to speak creatively and compellingly do it for the gospel and for God's glory. Last point, you need to be competent. Look at verse 6 again, last thought, so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So watch where he has gone. Let's pray for gospel opportunities. And as you live wisely and compellingly and authentically for Jesus Christ in the outside world, chances are, Your life is going to provoke a question. The crisis in another person like that lady in Walmart is going to provoke an opportunity. A world or national crisis is going to cause people to think spiritually in ways they have never done. And God has just opened you a door to speak the gospel. Now do it courteously. Do it compellingly. And do it competently. You better have an answer to the question your life has provoked. That's competence and ability to get the job done. We need to be ready for that moment. We need to be prepared. You need to be preparing yourself for that. You might say, Pastor, I'm not good at that. Well, that's okay. None of us were ever good at it, but you can become good at it. You can do better. You can grow and get trained in theology and the gospel and the Word of God and learn how to defend your faith in the public square regarding the issues of the day. 
to have some basic answer for why do you believe the Bible? Some basic answer for why do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Some basic answer, well, how do you explain that a God of love would wipe out certain cultures in the Old Testament? And on and on these questions go. And I realize, Paul, I don't think is saying here that you and I need to have the perfect answer for every question that anybody might be able to ask us across a lifetime. You know how many times I've said to people, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to get you one? Probably more than you'd realize. Because we're all growing. But there needs to be a competency, some basic ability to defend your faith and commend your faith. And that's on you. Paul is speaking to the Colossians and he says, hey, be wise look for open doors. When the open doors come, you better be able to give an answer to everyone that asks. Could you? Isn't that what Peter says? Same thing. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Sounds very like what Paul's saying in Colossians 4 verses 5. Be ready, be prepared to give a defense or give a reason. That's a lawyer's word. The Greek word there speaks of someone defending someone in a courtroom. It's a lawyer's brief. I'll tell you what, when you go into a court with a lawyer, you don't want some guy that doesn't, or lady that doesn't know their stuff because in some cases your life is on the line. I want a lawyer, an advocate, to be compelling, logical, got the facts down, the issues of the case, and to answer the questions that's in the jury's mind or the judge's thoughts. That's our word. You need a Bible brief. You need to have some brief ready because those are the questions of the day. Well, why do you believe the Bible? What, you believe in six-day creation? Science, you know, shoots that down, doesn't it? Jesus is the only way? Wasn't Jesus just a man? On and on it goes. Again, those are great questions that men have studied across a lifetime, but there are some good answers to that that you can learn yourself. Get over and learn. Open your Bible. Read books. Enroll in classes. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies in you when you're asked. The evangelistic encounter must not only be opportune in regard to time, it must be appropriate in terms of engagement. There are many people who don't know the faith, right? We need to reach them. And they need people who know the faith to tell them what they don't know. But here's the sad fact. Too often, people who don't know the faith meet Christians who don't know their faith. And they're simply a dry well. And there's nothing to draw from. And an opportunity is missed. And the impact of the church is lessened because we're not doing our jobs to speak courteously, compellingly, and competently about the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to aspire to be like Philip in Acts 8, who's presented with an opportunity. He meets a man, and he embraces that opportunity. He redeems the time. He meets a man, the Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading something. He doesn't understand what he's reading. Philip asks, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading some guy called Isaiah. Where are you in the prophecy of Isaiah? Like about... Isaiah 53, Philip goes, hey, let me tell you what that's about. 
me tell you about who was wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. And he preaches Jesus to him. The man gets saved and gets baptized. He was ready to embrace the opportunity. He had an answer for the man that asked. Again, we'll grow in that. But we need to grow in that. We mustn't be like, as I close, the Irishman who John Phillips talks about in his commentary in Colossians. He said that this Irishman was asked what he believed. And he said to this man that asked what he believed, he says, well, I believe what the church believes. The man said, well, what does your church believe? Well, the church believes what I believe. (laughs) To which the man said, well, what do you both believe? And he says, we both believe the same thing. (laughs) Well, he was answering the questions, but not answering the questions because he didn't know how to answer the question. Lord, help us to answer the questions of our day. Help us to seek to master the Scriptures, have a working knowledge of our Bibles, so that we're not going to be dumbstruck when we're asked about the authority of Scripture, the person of Jesus Christ, the claims of God. Lord, we want to have meaningful conversations with people every day. And we believe, and Paul seems to hint, that those opportunities will come. And they must be bought up like a bargain. And when the opportunity's there, provoked by our lives and our smart living, help us to speak courteously and reflect the grace of our Lord Jesus. Help us to speak compellingly. Help us know what to say, how to say it, and to say it in a manner that's captivating. Help us to be competent. Help us to be good ambassadors for Jesus Christ, good representatives of the Master. Lord, forgive us for those times, as I've expressed even in my own life, when you teed the ball up and it didn't even take a swing. We regret to our eternal shame those times where we have kept our mouths closed. Forgive us. Enable us to do better. Like Jim Henry, help us to make it our goal each and every day to have a meaningful conversation with someone without Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. We thank you that Colossians 4, 5, and 6 has told us how to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are listening to Philip DeCourcy and the conclusion of a message titled, Made Strong from our Total Grace Series. Here at Know the Truth, Philip delivers these faith-fortifying messages on grace to encourage you to exchange your weakness for God's strength. You'll find each broadcast archived on our website at ktt.org. And this month, if you're new to Know the Truth, we have a free gift to send you. It's the first message in our current series. Ask for the CD message called A New Beginning and share it with someone who needs to hear about God's saving grace. You can request the free CD sermon online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. As Philip shared, we need to present the gospel with clarity, competency, and creativity, and we can rely on the Holy Spirit to help us do that. You can get better equipped to share God's truth when you reach out to receive this month's resource titled Grace-Focused Optimism. 
In this soul-stirring book, author C.L. Chase invites you to adopt a positive biblical mindset, one that truly reflects the hope and joy of the gospel. The book is yours when you support the ministry of Know the Truth. Make a generous donation of $25 or more and request Grace-Focused Optimism. Call us at 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And if you prefer to send a check, write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And with the arrival of the new year, we're making new ministry plans, and we want you to weigh in. So take the Know the Truth listener survey. It's your chance to let us know how we can serve you best. You'll find the survey online at ktt.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd signing off for today. Come back tomorrow when we'll be learning to speak the truth with grace. That's Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. are ringing off the hook right now at American Bullion. With wild swings in the stock market and worries about heading into a worldwide recession, cautious investors are quickly shifting part of their portfolios into physical gold and silver for the time being. Don't get caught by surprise like so many did 10 years ago. Protect your retirement before it's too late. Call American Bullion right now to learn about their hassle-free process of moving any portion of your IRA or old 401k into the long-term safety of gold and silver tax-free and ask for your free copy of american bullion's original gold guide the only one recommended by former principal deputy director of the u.s mint red jepson call now 800-600-4849 that's 800-600-4849 call american bullion now get the best gold guide and start protecting your retirement account call now 800-600-4849 when you listen Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.